Welcome back to another edition of the Educational AD Podcast. We couldn't do these without the incredible support of our sponsors, and we want to start by saying thank you to all of them. First, thanks to our diamond sponsor, Varsity Brands, including BSN, Varsity Spirit, and Herf Jones. Varsity Brands, elevating student experiences in sport, spirit, and achievement. We also want to thank our platinum sponsors, Ephesus Lighting, innovating a brighter future at every level. Gilman Gear, always a step ahead. Camp Mobile, where teams communicate better. Hometown Ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. And Vital Signs, bring student achievements to life. Thanks to all of our great sponsors. Welcome back, everyone, to the Educational AD Podcast. Our uh, guest today is a good friend, Mike Elson. He's a certified master athletic administrator, and he's the athletic director at Christ Presbyterian Academy in Nashville, Tennessee. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Jake, it's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, we only have the best, sir, so uh, that's why we've got you. Um, well, you and I were talking about it earlier. Uh, this is certainly a busy time for athletic directors, so let's jump right into it. We always like to let our listeners uh, have a chance to get to know our guests, so tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, uh, you know, where you went to school and college, and, and maybe how your love of sports uh, led to that first teaching and coaching job. Sure. Thank you, Jake. I grew up in a small town in Indiana, Newcastle, um, Indiana. It's a town of about 20,000 people. I graduated from Chrysler High School, and it was named Chrysler, of course, because of the, the factory. And at that time, for many years, since it was the Maxwell House in the early 1900s up until I graduated in 1982, you know, it was the center hub of finance for our city, provided all the families with, with income, and town was thriving in a pretty strong way. Um, Chrysler's now since gone, and so they now call the high school Newcastle High School, but I grew up um, as the oldest of four boys on um, 19th Street. <clears throat> um, my first job was passing the Indianapolis Star, and I passed that from age 13 until I went to college. Um, interesting story, and I'll be as quickly quick as I can. Um, in Newcastle, Indiana, you dream of playing for the Newcastle Trojans on the basketball team because Newcastle has the largest high school gym on a high school campus in the country. Oh, wow. It seats when they put temporary bleachers in around the track, it seats over 10,000 people. A um, couple of interesting guys that attended my school or I was a year ahead of uh, Steve Alford, who is now the university of Nevada coach um, won a national championship for Bob Knight and Indiana Hoosiers in 87 and then Mike Kovaleski was a friend of mine, and he played football at Notre Dame and actually started as a freshman linebacker. And his father, Frank Kovaleski, has a, an award named after him through the NIAAA. I actually spent the night, one night at Mike's house back when what we were sophomore, junior in high school. We were in FCA together. So um, my connection to the Kovaleskis is, 
um, pretty special from, from my vantage point. Oh yeah, that's very and It's cool. interesting, you know, tying into that growing up. When I first started in the NIAAA, I see this name, Frank Kovaleski, on like the bullet, on the brochures. And I'm like, is that Mr. Kovaleski? Because I had <laughs> not been really a part of the NIAAA for my first several years at CPA. And sure enough, it was Mr. Kovaleski. So that's quite an honor to have that connection. And he was my high school athletic director. So wow. I'm really um, grateful for where I was able to go to high school. Um, again, we had some tremendous um, athletes come through in a very small town. And even today, Jake, the um, Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame is located in Newcastle, not in Indianapolis, not in the bigger cities, not in Muncie or, you know, any traditional powers, but in that little town, Newcastle. That is very cool. Okay. Well, after high school, um, on to college, um, how, tell us about that experience. Well, it, it ties a little bit into high school where um, grade six through 11, I tried out for Newcastle basketball and did not make the team. And so my senior year, I'm trying out. And again, I'm a senior and Steve, you know, Steve and Mike, they were juniors, but um, coach Sam Alford was the coach. And he's like, okay, everybody trying out. If you run less than a five minute mile, you're going to make the Trojans. Um, he wanted a fast paced team that year. And, you know, I, I kept dreaming, kept scratching, kept clawing, learned how to play basketball at Baker Park with a bunch of the older, older guys. Um, and so we ran the mile in the preseason training. Steve came through across at 452, and I came across at 459. And I'm like, yes, I've made it. So I go to the training room after, after the practice, and I talked to two of the trainers. Their names were Amy and Christy, and I'll leave it at that because it's etched in my mind. Um, forever. Uh, I said, girls, have you all heard who's going to make the team? How's it going? You know, because for somebody that had been cut so many years, you're like, man, I'm finally going to make it. And then they named a bunch of people, but they didn't say my name. And I said, well, have you heard about me? And they're like, well, no, we, we, um, we haven't heard your name. So I got my stuff out of the locker, Jake, and I went and I never, I didn't come back. I like walked away, didn't go back to tryouts. There were like three more days. I see Coach Alford in the hallway a couple of weeks later, and he's like, Mike, what happened? Where, why didn't you come back? And I said, well, I heard a couple of trainers say that they didn't hear my name, and I was so devastated from all the years that I just thought, here I go, I'm going to get cut again. And he said, Mike, what did I tell you? I told you for the guys that break a five-minute mile, they're going to make the team. You were going to make the team, but now you know, of course, I can't let you on the roster. I can't let you be part of the team. And that was a pretty hard lesson um, to learn, but one of great value for me, because as an athletic director, former coach in many sports, I'm able to have empathy for the student athletes who maybe don't make the team or are at the end of the bench. So I say all that to say this, I ended up playing basketball in college at what's now called Welch College. I was actually on the first team. Um, my senior year, I was able to start guard, and so, for not making a middle school or high school team to eventually play in college demonstrates a great love for the game, um, but also learned a really valuable lesson about you can't just go on hearsay. You've got you've to stay focused and you got to go to the source. And so I'm glad Coach Alford didn't let me back on the team, um, but he taught me a hard lesson and I have great respect for him to this day. 
That's a great, great story. I'm sure you can remember that like it was yesterday. Yes. Well, take us through uh, maybe a little bit of those college years and again, how that led to, uh, you know, that first job in uh, teaching and coaching. Well, Welch College used to be Free Will Baptist Bible College, and I went to a Free Will Baptist church um, growing up, um, came to know the Lord through the Free Will Baptist Youth Camp in um, Silver Lake, Indiana, and wanted, and the guys that were the counselors all attended this school in Nashville, Tennessee. So I'm like, man, that's a really, it looks like a really cool school. Those are, those are cool guys, and, you know, I want to be like them. So it took me to the, to the Bible College, and and, um, you know, I ended up meeting my wife there and we married, I was 20, she was 19 in two weeks when we got married. We married after my sophomore year, her freshman year, both of us made it through, graduated. Uh, it's kind of interesting being a married student um, during your college years, but we knew without a doubt that we had been brought together for a reason. And um, so definitely credit the the college, you know, the, what's what I said now is Welch College, um, with with bringing us together, and we met each other over a plate of cottage cheese. I used to eat cottage cheese. I put a lot of pepper on it, and my wife was like, at the time, I didn't even know her, but she's two tables over, and she noticed me just going, you know, shaking the pepper shaker and just wearing it out, and um, that's how we met over a over a pepper shaker and a, and a plate of cottage cheese. But um, loved my time at my college, um, and it ended up being the ticket to um, get me to the job where I am you know, today, year, what, starting year 34. Well, we talk uh, a lot about uh, leadership and mentorship, and I know that uh, mentoring has a particularly strong place in your heart. Who were some of the mentors that you had uh, growing up as a student and, and even as a young professional uh, when you came to uh, Christ Presbyterian? You know, whose voice can you still hear in your head as you go about your job each day? Well, definitely, um, there's a um, coach, Byron Deal, was my college coach. And, you know, for him to be the decision maker, for me to actually get to wear a uniform um, and demonstrate belief in me he brought a lot out in me that I didn't know I had so and you know we were able to have a great relationship both on and off the court and um, he was a pioneer uh, for years the college did not want to have interscholastic you know athletics if you will on the college level and and I'll share this with you Swin Nader played for John Wooden at UCLA mm -hmm. and Swin was actually a national championship coach of the of an NCCAA school. Everybody's heard of the NCAA, but the National Christian College Athletic Association is what our college played in. And I was talking to Swin and we had him speak in, in Tennessee at an AD conference uh, two years ago. And he's like, I know exactly what that what that league is. And anyway, we were able to compete in a national tournament one year and it was the dream of Coach Deal to start a program and to get to be on the first roster official roster of the college. I had no idea what God was preparing me for, but what ended up happening, you know, so Byron Deal is my mentor. Then I get to come to a place called Christ Presbyterian Academy, a little bitty school that in 1985 started as an, a K through six, 
they added a grade every year. I started when they were K through eight. They'd never had any athletics, no coach. So little did I know at 23 years old, I was gonna be privileged to be the school's first coach and only athletic director. So another mentor of mine, Richard Anderson, the founding headmaster of our academy, um, he said, now Mike, you're gonna come in, we're gonna teach PE, we're gonna take a couple years and then we'll start athletics. And Jake, I think I waited like three days and I went in, I'm like, can we start a cross country team and we'll wear our PE uniforms and you know, I'll coach both teams. And so that first year, you know, Richard mentored me, uh, mentored me, my college coach kept mentoring me, even though I had already graduated um, from uh, the Bible college. And we did, we had soccer, we had girls basketball. They wouldn't allow boys basketball yet because they didn't feel like we had enough boys and we couldn't be competitive. And then we had track in the spring. So I was coaching everything. Um, we had no budget, uh, no coaching stipend, but I dreamed of being a coach. And you got to remember that's an important part of, of this journey because I didn't get to wear that uniform for the Newcastle Trojans. So to have the privilege to get to be a coach of all these different sports, it was a tremendous honor. And so um, from Byron Deal to Richard Anderson, and then a gentleman named Ed White. Ed pitched at Vanderbilt back in the 70s, Vanderbilt University, outstanding athlete. And he loved me unconditionally. And I ended up coaching, you know, a couple of his boys. But he's currently, he's about to retire, but like an assistant vice president of Pinnacle Bank here in Nashville. And Ed was always available for me. Anytime I needed a phone call, go to lunch, if I was hurting, if, you know, as an AD, you're getting criticized. Ed loved me unconditionally, and he was patient with me as I walked through, especially the early years of my 20s. Like I said, being the first coach, I've been our only athletic director. I made a lot of mistakes on the, with on-the-job training, but without those mentors, um, it doesn't happen. And then I have to say this before we leave the mentor piece. My wife is by far the greatest mentor. It's, I'm not saying that because it's the right thing to say. Um, Mary is, she's the sounding board. She's the unseen mentor. Her intuition is awesome. She's also an educator. So I'm able to just continue to this day, run everything by her. And I can make mistakes of my thinking or what should we do here? And, you know, just get a lot of advice from her. And she's going to love me unconditionally through it. And she stopped me from doing things that I would have regretted later just because of being that wise counsel for me so got to make sure I, I say that again not to not because it's the right thing to say but because it, it, it is um the true essence uh, of an anchor for me as a man and as a professional i can certainly echo those comments you know i'm asked by some of our young coaches you know how does your wife up with you know the long hours etc I said she's a coach you know she's an athlete she gets it so you know that's you know my advice to to young coaches or potential ADs is make sure your your spouse is 100% on board yes. um, you know you talked about uh, you know being involved with the startup uh, I've been uh, privileged to be involved with a couple of different startups and it is a very special time it also puts you and your career in a, a unique perspective to answer this next question um, 
maybe not going back, uh, you know, the entire time, but maybe in the last 15 or 20 years, how has the job of an athletic director changed? Um, you know, there's a lot of directions you could go, but I'm curious as to your perspective. You know, how has your job changed uh, day to day, say in the last 15, 20 years? I'd say, you know, start with now. And it's really awesome to be able to give back to coaches, to athletic directors. And when I say give back, I share mistakes and I encourage them, please learn from my mistakes. And so if we can help others succeed, isn't that what this is all about? And, you know, you and I are walking through the new LTC 716 course and we're back and forth and a bunch of drafts and trying to help each other. And I feel like we're mentoring, all of us are mentoring each other through that. Um, but I think, you know, here on the back end, looking back, that, that's, a, um, that's a neat metamorphosis to get to grow through. When you're young as an AD and a coach, you are constantly criticized. And so I don't, I still get criticized like we all do, but I don't sense the same heaviness that I did of, of maybe disrespect. Well, he's 28 years old or he's 32 years old. What, what does he know? How does he know? He's never experienced this. Well, now we, we've kind of, you know, we've kind of seen it all. So we can reflect back. Um, I tell people all the time, when I first started, my phones, my phone messages would be about 30 if I hadn't checked in three hours. We didn't have this technology that we're blessed with today. Um, so now everything's via email, via text, but the phone calls, and I frankly think that's something that's missing in our culture and our society today. We just don't pick up the phone and talk to people anymore. Uh, the easy way out is to text or, or send an email. I want to meet face-to-face. -face. I want to meet via phone call. And that, that's all we could do back, what, in the late 80s, 90s, even early 2000s. Um, an interesting thing about our school, I, don't want, I want to make sure I say this right. It's not that I enjoyed the first 10 or 15 years more, but I didn't feel as much pressure to win. We've won a bunch of championships, district, region, sectional, state. And I tell people all the time, you can go into our gym and you can smoke or burn those banners. I could give a rip because this school that I'm at has always been special, whether it was K through A with no athletics, the heart, the grounding, the foundation, the purpose for why it was created um, will always resonate with me over what's now, oh great, you want, a, you want a championship in football and all these different sports, well, well great, but I don't want that to define me. That is not success. It truly is Coach Wooden's peace of mind description that he so eloquently scripted back, what, 1934 to 1948. And so for me at this school, growing with it, growing up, I, that's one of the differences that I see. People back, in the 80s and 90s, they didn't come because of championships, facilities, or buildings. They came because of the essence of the institution. Now I think people come from all over, like, man, that's a winning program, or they just built this, or they just hired that person. Okay, that's the nature of where we're at right now, so you got to navigate the waters and understand the times. Um, but that's, that's been a big difference for me from the early years of being an AD to now. And Jake, I truly understand how blessed I have been 
to get to be in this position for so long because a lot of people end up not getting into the opportunity to be an AD until the end of their career. And I've been able to navigate throughout my professional adult life, if you will. Oh, good things happen to good people. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, you talked about coaches. Um, I, I'm curious. Um, you know, you know that our school in, in Tallahassee, we're very blessed. We've had a lot of that championship success. Um, I think a big reason is um, almost all, not all, but almost all of our varsity head coaches are teachers on campus. Uh, you know, they're right there. Um, what's, um, what's your percentage at Christ Presbyterian of on-campus uh, versus off-campus coaches? Well, our, our, our head coaches are like 90% or above. Uh, we have several non-faculty assistants. We have a coaching staff of over 70. We have over 50 athletic teams. And I would say non-faculty-wise, we have between 25 and 30 non-faculty coaches. It's important to have teaching coaches in the hallways, in the lunchroom, in the trenches to cultivate the relationship piece and if you're a non-faculty coach, you're riding in on two wheels from the other job, you're coaching and some do it really well, but it's also pretty hard, um, the investment piece, because non-faculty coaches, they're breadwinners from another job, if you will, and they gotta make sure they stay focused on that. Not that they're putting the coaching piece as a secondary entity, but let's face it, like I said, they, they've gotta, they gotta put food on the table for their families. You get full-time educators, that's it. They're, they're all in. And we're seeking great classroom teachers who can be great coach, coaches because it's both and. Great coaches are great teachers. We're education-based athletics. We're co-curricular. And if you have coaches who demonstrate excellence in the classroom, it creates a great reputation for your athletic program and instead of the old dumb jock mindset that might have occurred in the 60s and 70s, we don't have that. And we fight against that every day here at our schools. So our coaches take very seriously um, their, their teaching responsibilities. And then somehow, some way, they do an outstanding job. I don't have to teach any classes, so I don't know how they do it. But they do a great job of leaving AP math and being able to go be the cross-country coach. We have a phenomenal AP math teacher. Um, our head football coach loves history. He just eat up with it. And he's also an outstanding transformational football coach. So it, it's, it's both and really. And um, the non-faculty coach, we fight with everything we have to have our principals and our administration and our school board of trustees, we really rally to say, hey, you, we gotta have these guys and ladies in the trenches um, to truly get to know the the students they're going to be coaching. Well, everything you just said, it sounds like our school. So again, uh, it's great to see that leadership there and that they value the, uh, the, the athletic component of the educational experience. Okay. Um, let's go and talk a little bit about COVID. Um, you know, we've certainly seen a variety of responses across the country, uh, regionally, and, and even in Florida within our own state. Um, Two questions. Uh, what were some of the things that you did uh, with your student athletes, your coaches uh, this past spring when COVID first hit and understanding that things can't change tomorrow? Uh, what's the current state um, at your school and maybe for Tennessee? 
I'll tell you one neat thing, you know, like everybody else in the country, you know, our coaches connected via Zoom. Um, we had team parades for the seniors to where everybody, you know, drove their car and had wave flags and had signs and those different things. Um, but we do a thing here, and it was born out of the Inside Out Coaching Initiative with Coach Joe Ehrman. We do hearts and shields. The girls do hearts and the boys do shields. And we basically, our coaches told their story via Zoom with 25 or 30, you know, however many were on your team roster. And you talk about like we're doing today, your early, your early part of your life, you know, some recent events, what motivates you and, and, and so on and so forth. There are four different components. And of course, I can't remember right this second. Uh, I got the first two right. But so basically the coaches tell their story and then you go around and each student shares their story. We're doing this with the new NIAAA mentor committee where we have 10 members on the committee. We've had two meetings thus far. I did, I shared my uh, shield and then we had, you know, three of our members share the next time. It was so moving as a committee and to hear adults to adults share their stories is really special. But I, I, I would, you know, invest in time with all the different team Zooms, Jake. And I remember being moved by our softball team. And there were two girls in particular that shared their story. And they came from some pretty tough home scenarios. And it just really created empathy for me. And I will have more appreciation for where this student is those students are coming from when I do get to see them in the hallway. But it was a tremendous connector on Zoom. And the students and the coaches actually look forward to the upcoming weekly team Zoom, if you will. So the hearts and the shields is the best thing I can share um, from what we did this spring. Besides, you know, you, you and I and so many others across the country have had, you know, webinar opportunities and being able to take LTC courses. We encouraged our coaches to grow professionally, to network professionally, to, to speak at clinics, if you will, online. And so we try to be very aggressive and not feel sorry for ourselves, but look at the, the cup three quarters full and let's go, okay, we've been throwing this curveball. Now how are we going to hit it out of the park? And, um, that was the that was the attitude and the driving mindset of our coaches. Some coaches, Jake, did Zoom calls with just a few of their team members, not the whole team. It took more time, but they were able to really connect in a more intimate way than you know on on a twenty five member Zoom call. Right. Well, um, looking at uh, fall. Uh, openings, you know, both academic as well as athletic, um, you know, where's your school at and, and where, how does that fit in with what Tennessee has announced so far? Well, I'll start with where Tennessee is. We have, um, first of all, our school is located in Davidson County, which is Nashville. And, you know, you got the Metro schools of Nashville and they're on delay and they're not going back till after Labor Day. And then you have those of us who are independent schools that are trying to get the students back on campus and into the building. Um, the governor issued executive order 55 last week, which states that they, schools that follow the TSSAA guidelines per COVID requirements, CDC guidelines, um, schools that follow those can begin athletics. 
So we have begun um, all, of our, all of our fall sports um, where the students, when they pull in, have a mask on, they're wearing the mask to practice, but when they practice or when they work out, you know, they're taking their mask off. They're bringing, the, bringing their own water bottle like everybody else. We're not using our locker rooms. I walked out to football practice yesterday, for example, and in our stadium, our coaches were spread out into three different sections. They put white paper on the black fence and were teaching from the white paper. Normally, we're in with a projector on the screen or a smart board or whatever, but I thought I was really impressed with how creative they were being to take that opportunity to teach outside because we can't be in the, you know, in the locker room. So that was one adjustment that I thought was great. Um, our school, we had some parents kindly give us a donation and we have these remote control tackle dummies. And the first day we had them, Coach Martin and several of his assistant coaches, they had the remote control. And they're like, you know, these things go 40, 50 miles an hour. I had never seen them before. And they were running tackle drills. Well, it meets the expectations of COVID because you're social distancing. And so I think some creative ways like that is what we're seeing or what we're trying to do here. Now, those tackling dummies are two to $3,000 a piece. And not everybody has that has been blessed with a donation to do that, but we were fortunate and I think using the money very, very wisely. Um, you know, our coaches are collaborating on, you know, holding each other accountable. Well, for example, social media. We love our social media accounts and we have some phenomenal coaches representing their sports and driving the messaging from social media platform. What you can't do right now is take a picture of, you know, students in, you know, not in practice, all hugging each other, being close because you're not practicing social distancing. So we found that to be a curveball so far in that our kids really want to be back together, but we cannot post on our social media breaking social, me uh, social distancing requirements. So we found that as a tough curveball. And it's like, you know, I just didn't think about that. I'm like, okay, we got to think of everything. And then I've had my, we have like an athletic collaboration team. And they're like, Mike, you, you can't beat yourself up every time you don't think of everything. So I want to think of all of it. I'm trying to research and study and see what people are doing all over the world. But I, I missed that one. And so we had a couple of teams post. I had to send all our coaches a text last night. I'm like, Please take any social media pictures down where we're not social distancing for the time being until we get into season. Jake, here's the challenge. Once the media comes out, written media or, you know, television news stations, that's on them to, you know, take highlights from a ball game. But we will be within guidelines because we're allowed to play. So there's a lot of little things that you don't think through that we're learning on the fly. Um, and at the end of the day, we don't want anybody to die. And we want the student athletes to do like Iowa, where they had what 94% of the softball and baseball teams were able to, to complete the duration of the season that they set forth a couple of months ago. Can we do that here? Our attitude has to be yes, we can. But our practicing, are we going to let our actions speak with our words? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the Iowa thing. Uh, I 
just heard about that recently and kind of, you know, retweeted it uh, myself. But uh, it's amazing that we hadn't heard more about that. That sounded like a pretty successful uh, uh, way to deal with it. Uh, Gosh, Mike, uh, um, this has been great. Uh, I've got two more segments that I want to squeeze in here. Um, We get, uh, or so far we've had, uh, I think, a lot of new ADs, some younger ADs. And I think when they hear or see, you know, folks like us that, you know, we've been around for a few years and, and, you know, we, we've gotten on committees and things like that. I don't think they really understand and maybe appreciate that that doesn't happen on day one. It doesn't happen overnight. So uh, quickly, if you could kind of review uh, your involvement as you got involved with your state association and how that led to uh, the tremendous involvement you have right now with the national organization. Well, thank you. Um, I I attended my first athletic director's conference in Tennessee in 1992, and I've missed one in all of those years. And I used to sit, I was a young AD, I would sit in the back. I didn't really connect with many people. I might say hi to somebody. I was scared to death to get involved. Uh, I was at a private school and and the leadership was predominantly, you know, public school driven. But there was a mentor, a guy named Richard Carroll, who started the TIAAA, and he literally found me one time. He said, Mike, you got to quit sitting in the back row. Get up here, and um, let's figure out where we can put you to work. And so I just started rolling my sleeves up a little bit at a time, but it took somebody to go get me, to pull me out. And so I tell you know new ADs or young ADs all the time, sit on the front row. Don't sit on the back. Roll your sleeves up. Ask people how you can help, how you can get involved. I wish somebody would have told me that. Like I said, it took a few years. Um, but, you know, started really connecting the NIAAA in 03. I went to my first national conference because it was in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I'm like, hey, I see this. I'm going to go, um, you know, it's 50 miles from Newcastle. I'm going to go to, you know, a few, few sessions and then um, go home, see my family. And I ended up loving it so much. I took four LTC courses that first year, went to every workshop I could take, and um, just slowly but surely, you know, networked. And again, um, how can I get involved? And you meet somebody in LTC class and you, you connect. You know, I, I forget who I met that helped me get to Andy Childs and Lannis Robinson of Florida, but they brought me under their wings for LTC 705. I'll never forget it. Um, they kind of opened the door for me into the leadership training program. And uh, they saw, again, like my coach did years earlier, they saw something in me I didn't see myself. And, um, you know, from, from there, it's just networking. And really the NIAAA is, it's so service driven. Um, it's, it's one of the greatest organizations I could ever imagine being involved in. And so take LTC classes, go to workshops, you know, take these free workshops that are online right now, get to know people, and all of us are always willing to help through an email, a phone call, whatever it might be, um, your best way to contact people through Twitter, whatever. And um, just don't sit back. I think that's the best, best advice I can give that I wish somebody would have given me. Don't sit back. Mm-hmm. Well, you've led us uh, right into a great uh, job uh, into our final segment, which we call the Athletic Director's Toolbox. Um, As a veteran AD, I'm charging you with sending out 
uh, a young athletic director on their very first job, but I'm only going to let you put three items in their toolbox. Uh, what three things are going to go in Mike Elson's athletic director toolbox? Surround, number one, have, um, have surround yourself with great people. Um, you need to have a, a confidant or two. I mentioned Ed White earlier, the Vanderbilt pitcher. Um, when I was having a hard day, I could pick up the phone and call him. So the first thing you can do, you've got to have somebody's shoulder to cry on because uh, this is not an e this is just not an easy job. So um, that's the first thing. Number two is something all of us have inside of us, outside of us, and that's your work ethic. Don't let anyone outwork you. In the pyramid of success that Coach Wooden built, there are 15 building blocks, and on the far left is the word industriousness, and on the far right is the word enthusiasm. Work hard and have fun. Going back to what you were saying earlier, Jake, about the advice your father gave you about whatever you do, have fun doing it. Um, and, and if you're having fun, that's a great way to bless other people. And be service-driven, service-oriented. Um, I read something today from um, George Raveling. Coach George Raveling sends out a daily email. called I think it's called The Daily Coach. Resources. You know, find, find a few things that are motivating. George Raveling's 83 years old. I love getting his advice as a 56-year-old professional, father, grandfather now. And he had something interesting today. He said, have you ever looked at your office? He said, is your name all over the place? Do you have a word plaques all over the place? He said, not sure you want to do that as an AD. Get rid of your name. This is all about helping others, not about promoting yourself. And it really, Jake, it really, it really stabbed me in a good way. Um, I'm like, whoa. So I started looking around my office. But if I don't read the Daily Coach, I'm not thinking about that. So that's the toolbox piece. And man, in this technology day and age, we have so many opportunities to, um, to have resources. Uh, the Inside Out Initiative, uh, that is a huge toolbox resource because you want your coaches to be transformational, not transactional, not, you know, win at all costs. Um, we all watched The Last Dance. We heard Michael Jordan say, I'm going to do whatever it takes, or I did whatever it took to win. When you flip the scoreboard on, we want to compete for victory, but we want to do it within the rules, but you don't want to do it at a win at all cost uh, mentality. So I hope that was a, a helpful answer to the question. Oh, no, that was fantastic. Uh, really appreciate it. I know our listeners do as well. Well, Mike, uh, thanks for being on today. It's been great getting to know you these past uh, several years at NIAAA and Section 3. Um, enjoy, as you mentioned, you know, we're working uh, together with a couple other uh, ADs on this new course. Uh, thank you so much uh, for sharing today. Jake, thank you for having me. It's been an honor to be with you. Well, good luck, my friend, uh, with reopening. And to our listeners, uh, good luck to you. And please come back again for another edition of the Educational AD. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Educational AD Podcast. I want to remind you that the Zoom recording of this interview is also available on YouTube on the Educational AD channel. Thanks again for listening.